We're glad you're joining us here at Common Thread Online. This is a recording of our community gathering as we do each week to think together about the spiritual journey. At the end of the lesson, we open the floor for discussion, but we'd love to hear what you're thinking as well. On our website are directions to download our app. Once you have it, join the group. What are you thinking? We'd love to connect with you there. We finish our Advent lesson. Here's something people have told me about me that I tend to bury the lead. I tend to give a lot of context in advance. I tend to lead up to the lead with a very long ramp, and I know I do that. And I know that it's not a best practice when you live in a social media world where if you don't grab attention in the first 10 seconds, you lose folks. I know that that's true, but I do it believing that we're not talking about short-term change, we're talking about substantive change. And I think substantive change needs substantive understanding. At least that's what I tell myself so I don't have to change my ways. <laughs> but even so, I love it when we come to the end of a lesson because now we get to unbury the lead. <laughs> Today is the essence of the question we started with. Why did we choose the name that we did? Why do we call ourselves Common Thread? We've been following a historical arc. Let's take a vote right now. How many would say a historical arc? And how many would say an historical arc? I could not figure it out. Let's go with a. How many would say a historical arc? How many would say an historical arc? So this is why I could not figure it out. <laughs> We've been following historical architude. <laughs> For 1,700 years, tracing how, often against stiff headwinds, parts of our tradition have held on to a foundational concept that we are, every one of us, carriers of the inner light. That, we have said in this lesson, is the common thread. We saw the stalwarts leave for the desert when Rome tried to take the light away. We saw the Eastern churches hold on to a story of sin and, and salvation that kept the light at the deepest center of who we are. We saw the Quakers hold on to the light and face harsh, pers harsh persecution because they did. We saw their deep care for the disenfranchised because of their deep conviction that they also carry the light. This week, we explore another off-the-beaten-path corner of our tradition where yet again we held on to the inner light. That's the title I gave today's lesson in the Thursday email, Ordinary People as Monks and Mystics. Well, I got that title from this book. Uh, it's a good one. You might want to take a picture. It'd be a great thing to read over the holidays. Today, <coughs> we follow the common thread through small enclaves all over the West, but especially in Ireland and Scotland. We follow our monks and our nuns as they hold on to the inner light and we see how their work holding on has shaped our lives here at Common Thread in the 21st century. Ordinary people, people not living in convents or monasteries, serving as monks mystics. Here's another book. I know I have thrown a lot of books at you in this lesson, but this one is a lot of fun. How the Irish Saved Civilization. 
It's the story of the monastic communities in Ireland and Scotland, Christian spaces outside of the reach of Rome, where we preserved the wisdom of the desert. The focus of this book is how Irish monasteries preserved Greco-Roman classical manuscripts, authors and manuscripts that we would not have had had they not done so. When life in Europe was chaotic, from the fall of Rome in the 500s until the Renaissance in the 1500s, the Irish monks preserved by copying, but also by illustrating, uh, that's called the art of illumination, what they did to the texts, every ancient manuscript that they could acquire. And because they did that, and because they made an art of it, and because Ireland was geographically isolated and protected during those turbulent years from invasions and raids and plundering, we have those texts today. They copied Christian scriptures. They copied Hebrew scriptures. This one, the, probably the most famous of the Celtic illuminated manuscripts, is called the Book of Kells. It's a copy of the four Gospels uh, along with the Celtic illustrations. And they copied the ancient manuscripts. We have Ovid and we have Horace and we have Aristotle and Plato and Virgil because of these Irish monks. We have ancient scientific texts and medical texts. We understand ancient astronomy and mathematics because of them. In a very real sense, the Irish monks were the custodians of Western intellectual heritage when we had lost our way. They held on for us, awaiting the day we would be ready. They were really awaiting the Renaissance. Now, that should be a familiar notion by this point in the lesson. A far-off, out-of-the-way place where a few held on to, for the many, something really important, something very precious, something deeply meaningful, something that was in shaping of the future. Held on until we were ready. You've heard that theme in each one of these that we've gone before. The desert held on to us. The east held on for us. The Quaker communities held on for us. And the monastic communities held on for us. Because it turns out, not only did the Irish monks preserve Western intellectual wisdom, they also preserved our tradition's spiritual wisdom. They held on to the wisdom of the desert they held on to the inner light story for us. They also, you'll hear in just a minute, worked out how to live in a spiritual community organized around the inner light in each of us. Our monastics carried a fire for us, an ember. As the inner light was being extinguished in the West, they preserved it until we were ready. Well, today's image is Iona Monastery. It's an important historical site on the western islands of Scotland, off the coast of Scotland. So here's how the story goes. In the sixth century, an Irish monk, he is now a saint, Saint Brendan the Navigator, he gathered 11 friends and he got into a very tippy boat, <laughs> this round boat called a coracle. It was actually a wicker basket that had been covered in animal hides and took off on a one-way pilgrimage to establish a new community, a new place to practice the kind of spirituality that had been handed down by the desert tradition. 
That had happened about two or 300 years before this. This happened in the 500s, the 6th century. And when they left Ireland, they left carrying the story that we are, every one of us, carriers of the inner light. They left carrying the story that divine light is in everyone and in everything. Consequently, they set off expecting that when they found where they were going to go, whatever foreign people they encountered there, they expected that those people would be carriers of the inner light as well. In this case, when they landed in Iona, it was the Picts. When they got there, they started a new spiritual community. <coughs> they called it and several others that were started Fellowships of the Heart. Now the story of Brendan the Navigator was not written down until 400 years after it happened. So it is surely wrapped in layers and layers of myth and legend. But it does seem clear, both from archaeology and from written documents, that it was a thing. The Irish monks did launch these one-way endeavors. They did use these round, tippy boats. They did let the wind carry them wherever it carried them. It was kind of a misnomer to call Brendan the navigator because they didn't do much navigating. They just went where the wind blew them. And they did start communities wherever they went and when, it, when they got there. And they did organize these communities around the expectation that they would find the light in everyone. Consequently, they did organize around practices together that help human beings experience the interior light. And one of those important journeys ended here in Iona, again off the western coast of Scotland, 99 miles by sea from the northern tip of Ireland. Now that's important because subsequently Iona became a launching station for bringing the preserved intellectual past and the preserved spiritual past back to the Western world when the Western world was ready for it. As they were launching off in those tippy little boats, the world was not ready. The world was marauding bands, vandals and goths and visigoths, predatory, pillaging tribes. So. Way up in remote Iona, there was sufficient isolation from the geopolitical uh, chaos of the time, but also from the church that was still being influenced by and still carrying the instincts of empire. Way up above the Hadrian Wall, above where Rome's influence ever reached in Iona, they preserved the light for us. And they built a strong enough foundation in that location that later, when the West was ready, they could launch a recovery mission. They could bring the ancient wisdom back to us. Now, a significant component, kind of the point of this lesson is that one of the elements of the spiritual wisdom they preserved for us, a significant resource when we were ready, was this. The rule of Benedict. When the Irish monks left Ireland, they carried this work with them. It was the work of that man, Benedict of Nursia. He'd written a handbook for how spiritual communities could live together, organized around, we are, every one of us, carriers of the inner light. Now, historically speaking, it was a fortuitous thing that the Irish monks left when they did. 
It was a fortuitous thing that when they left, they carried Benedict with them because just a few centuries after they left, the Normans, you will remember them from the Great Schism, the ones that caused the, or precipitated the Great Schism, they had finally got around to invading Ireland. And they brought with them what they called a reform of the Irish monasteries. And what they meant by a reform is, we're going to come and straighten out all those monks that are telling this story about the inner light in all of us. We're going to restore proper empire order to the monasteries. We're going to restore a proper original sin mindset. And we're going to vanquish at the far reaches of the world the inner light, hopefully, once and for all. But by the time the Normans got there, Brendan and his crew were gone. And they left carrying the rule of Benedict with them, which in the succeeding generations found fertile soil in the Celtic world. It set deep into place inner light principles and deeply ingrained those principles into the Celtic soul, into the Celtic spirituality, and into Celtic Christianity, where it was preserved and where it was written down. Too bad for them, but really good for us, and it was stored away in the dusty attic of our tradition until we needed it in 1995, until we needed it in 2007. Because in those years, our community needed what they had preserved. We realized then that the American church had lost its way. We realized we needed a new, though actually very old, way and we found Benedict, and we found those Irish sailing monks. And thank God we did. I told you last week during the early years of our community, very disorienting years, we knew we could not be the church we inherited. And yet we had this lingering conviction that there's a baby in there with all of that bathwash. We couldn't name what the beauty was, but we had this strong interior sense that there is something beautiful under all of the ugly that we had experienced. And then we found our heritage. We found the arc of the story that I've been telling over the course of this lesson. We found our tradition of the inner light and we found it in the desert and we found it in the east and we found it in the Quakers and we found it in the rule of Benedict. Benedict wrote it for us on Rome's back doorstep. Nursia is just a short distance from Rome. But it was, didn't take long for Rome to come stamp it out in those places nearby. But they couldn't get to the far reaches of the empire's influence. They couldn't get to Ireland. The rule has been there all along. It's been preserved for us in these cloistered communities. Again, a long time in the dusty attic of our tradition. And if people did know about the rule of Benedict, they assumed it was only relevant for monks and for nuns. But when we were ready, we discovered in the rule there is wisdom for ordinary people, for all of us. Because the rule of Benedict is a roadmap for how to live the spiritual life when your starting place is, we are, every one of us, carriers of the inner light. Benedict outlined for the monastic communities a daily rhythm of life, a schedule for the day, a schedule for the week, a rhythm for the spiritual life. 
you will not be surprised, they worked out together the practices. They worked out the communal practices, the contemplative, the learning, and the serving. Practices that awaken us to the light we carry within. If people know about monastic life, they know about the silence and meditation part. And sure enough, that's a big part. And sure enough, there's a whole quadrant of the circle rooted in the contemplative prayers of silence. A regular rhythm of silence, meditation and contemplation. They called their schedule the liturgy of the hours because there are certain things that we do at certain hours of the day. That rhythm includes meditation. They, they talked about Lectio Divina as a contemplative practice. But that rhythm also includes working and being communal while we work together. A rhythm of communal time and contemplative practice and learning and serving. When you hear about Lectio Divina, that's where we got centering prayer. The way that we talk about it, we call it mindfulness meditation. Well, that came from, in our community, the rule of Benedict. So much of how our community approaches the communal practices, the way that we do the self-awareness practice as a communal rather than as an individual uh, endeavor, we got that from the rule. We work hard in our atomized society to share life alongside one another, practice spiritual friendship. That was a very important term for those who followed the rule of Benedict. The way that we do our groups, the way that we do life story groups, the way that we do self-awareness groups, the way that we do Enneagram groups, rooted in the rules concept of what spiritual friends do with and for one another. You heard Sue reference this uh, Latin term a few weeks ago, ora et labora, prayer and work. It turns out work can be both communal and contemplative practice. Working side by side, communal, but also doing work that creates flow states, contemplation in action. The rule helped us to consolidate our understanding of the serving practices as well. Um, <coughs> the Benedictine practice of service is a radical expansion of the notion, the concept of hospitality. They carried an inviolate obligation to welcome and to care for the stranger and the outsider, to invite anyone who is out in, because we are all, every one of us, carriers of the inner light. They practice radical openness. They prioritize caring for guests. Even above their daily rhythm of prayer and meditation, they planned for people that they had not yet met. They planned to meet their physical needs of food and shelter and protection and medicine. They planned for their spiritual needs to prepare themselves to offer spiritual guidance, spiritual direction for those they had not yet met. I've been the recipient of monastic hospitality at Mepkin Abbey uh, near Charleston. St. Joseph's in Western Maryland. I told a, few sto a story a few weeks ago about living in L.A., meeting with the nun up on the hill for spiritual direction, who once she got to know me, insisted, kid, you need to learn how to meditate. <laughs> that was her practicing the rule of Benedict, providing spiritual direction as a form of service, helping me be transformed so that I could be part of this community and help you be transformed. The rule of Benedict her form of service was radical hospitality. The rule helped monastic communities live holistic lives. Lives of rhythm, work and spiritual practice, communal life and contemplative life. So there we were. By now it's 2007. By now we've been deconstructing our religion for several years. 
By now, we've been healing from the way religion hurt many of us, wounded and wearied and bruised and beaten up. We'd spent a lot of years rejecting, 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 rejecting. But then we begin to feel it. It's time. It's time to stop tearing down, and it's time to start building up. Enough with the deconstructing. Let's begin reconstructing. And with no roadmap to guide us, just an interior sense, now it's time to rebuild. With no idea of even where to begin, we found, tucked in the attic, Brendan and Benedict, those Western monks and nuns, those stalwart sailors, those Ionian community makers. We found them. And we found the inner light that they held for us. And we found the circle not only had they preserved the story that we are, every one of us, carriers of the inner light, they had preserved a way to live, a way to access the inner light that we all carry. They gave us the circle. So 2007 became a turning point in our community's life. That's when we shifted from deconstructing to reconstructing, rebuilding a way to be a spiritual community. That's when we started to rebuild a religion that would make us better people and would help us create a better world. Now that said, it was also a very difficult time because it turns out reconstructing a religious tradition makes it clear for everyone to see uh, we're not in Kansas anymore. We're not the kind of community that we grew up in. We're not the kind of religious practice that we once knew and were familiar with. So when that became clear, a lot of folks left. 40% of our congregation left that year. That was very difficult because the people who left were very dear people. And they were lovely people. I still think of some of them because we had grown close. Now it was true, and I tried to make the case that we're drawing from a very deep part of our tradition, but it wasn't part of our tradition that many people knew. Consequently, it felt disloyal and felt like we were abandoning the ancient ways rather than rediscovering them. So it was hard. It was really hard. And of course we did, I did, doubt ourselves. But we had friends. Our friends made it possible for our community to do what we have done these last years together. I don't know that we could have become a prototype of healthy religion without our friends from the desert, without our friends in the East holding on to our core stories, without our Quaker friends showing us how to balance activism and contemplation. I don't know that we could have become who we have become without our friends, the monastics, who worked the circle a long time before we ever did, who worked out a way of being spiritual community that works because it begins with what is, that we are, every one of us, carriers of the inner light. But we did have those friends. And consequently, because we did, we could tell one another the inner light story that they preserved for us. And we could practice together the inner light practices that they preserved for us. And we could try the things that they had outlined for us. And then we could tweak them and revamp them and rework them for the world that we now live in. And we could find the things that they told us we would find, that we would find the divine center in each of us. They told us we would find that. I said last week, <laughs> I want you to see what that child needs. I bet it's something important. 
I said it last week that each one of these traditions paid a steep price to hold on to the inner light for us, to leave us a legacy of practice. And to each of these, we owe a debt. That we have a vibrant spiritual community that it's common in our community to tell the stories like we told earlier. Stories of inner transformation, stories of growth. We owe that to these very real people. They held on to that story. They held on to those practices at a time we weren't ready. They did not disappear from the face of the earth because of them. They taught us how to navigate our very difficult time of transition because they navigated their very difficult time of transition. And they showed us what, but they also showed us how. When we were casting about in the dark, there they were saying, try this. Okay, now try this. Okay, now try this. They were there to tell us, you will find the inner light. It's there. If you seek, you will find. If you ask, you will receive. If you knock, the door will be opened to you. The divine is shot through everything that is. There is an inseparable connectedness. God and us and earth and sky, everything is connected. Everything containing divine breath. Those gone before us held on to our tradition until we were ready. In 1995, we were ready. In 2007, we were ready. So thank you. Thank all of you for preserving this essential spirituality for us, for acting as safekeepers of our ancient wisdom, for preserving the common thread for us. And now we're here, and now we're ready, and now we can follow your lead and put into place a healthy religion for our time. Now we can Look for God in our lives the way you looked for God in yours. Find the divine in the earth as we tend our gardens, in the woods as we walk under trees, in our stories and in our practices, in our eating and drinking and laughing and crying. Thank you, those who have gone before. And so, in dwelling divine, given the rich heritage preserved for us, given the cloud of witnesses gone before us, may we live into the spirituality of being carriers, every one of us, of the inner light. Amen. Well, those of you who are online, we're very glad you are here. Um, and we are going to open the floor here in this room and uh, ask people what they are thinking, what's stirring up in their hearts. We would like to invite you to do the same it has become one of the uh, beautiful things about our community, and we would like to invite you into it. Here's the problem. Nobody wants to go show up on a Zoom with a bunch of strangers. <laughs> so here's the thing. Uh, we've got four people who lead these on a rotating basis, and all four of them will do their best to make you feel very welcomed and very comfortable. The Zoom link is in the YouTube notes right there if you're live on Sunday, uh, what is the 17th today. Um, and uh, if you get to the place where it asks for a password, the password is 1417. I hope you will go. I hope you will participate. I think over time you'll make friends. Uh, let's dismiss the folks who are online. Uh, let's put our hand on our hearts as we do, and remember as we go that we are, every one of us, carriers of the indwelling divine. 
which means that we are carriers of love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, what we call the fruit of the Spirit. And if you would extend your other hand to our city, let's look for opportunities to share what's already in us with the people with whom we live and work and go to school, looking for opportunities to repair and heal our worlds. Amen. God bless you all. You are dismissed. We are not dismissed. If these recordings help you move forward on your spiritual journey, we hope you'll take an ownership stake in the community and support the health and well-being of the community. Go to our website, commonthreadchurch.org. The donate button is right there on the top. Thank you.